you're listening to Of Sights and Men with Benji and Jacob. A Daily Magician production. Well, hello and welcome back to Of Slice of Men. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest and a very interesting guest because we kind of got two podcast hosts <laughs> uh, on the show today. I'm joined by, of course, Scott Wells uh, from the Magic Word Podcast. Scott Wells is a full-time professional magician who has traveled around the world where he has met and worked with and become friends with some pretty amazing people. Since 2011, Scott has been broadcasting conversations with conjurers all over the world. Each Thursday, he releases in-depth chats with magicians. His topics are as, are as broad uh, and deep as everything from marketing to stage work. Um, he talks with experts in their fields from church magic to Las Vegas stages. Um, Scott Wells has been described as the voice of magic and with 784, I think, as of today, <laughs> episodes to date, uh, it's not very hard to see why. Um, welcome to the podcast, Scott. How are you doing today? I'm very good. Thank you very much, Jacob. And thank you for having me on here. It's good to uh, talk with an, another podcaster, someone who knows what he's doing. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I don't think I'm as, as experienced as you are, but I don't know if anyone is. So I won't feel no, that's why they call it. me the pod father. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a good one. <laughs> well, um, to get started, I mean, it's kind of the cliche question, but I am always interested, especially with someone such as yourself, who's had such a lengthy career in magic. Um, where did it all begin? Uh, where did your magic journey actually start for you? When did you start getting into magic? Hmm. That's actually a twofold question or a two-parter mm. from the standpoint that I, uh, like most magicians, had a magic kit when they were young. I had a little Hasbro Sneaky Pete magic kit when I was eight years nice. old. My folks brought me uh, back. They were on holiday and came back and, and gave this to me. And uh, I showed the kids in the neighborhood, charged them a nickel apiece. And after they had seen everything that was in my magic box, I never thought about going to the library. I mean, I was only about eight years old, so I didn't really pursue it from then. And it wasn't until many years later when I was in my early 20s after uh, university and I had gone to, uh, I was working with the Boy Scouts and uh, there was an older scoutmaster there who showed me a rope trick. And mm -hmm. uh, I then demonstrated that one time uh, before the, uh, the scout meeting uh, and realized that it has uh, a real power in which I could hold the attention of the, uh, of the youth and they wouldn't listen mm -hmm. to me. Then I could say, okay, let's break up and do patrol meetings or whatever. And so I went back and learned uh, another rope trick from this guy and then another one and another one. And then um, uh, I, uh, when I was transferred, that was back in Illinois. And then from Illinois, I went to uh, Oklahoma and uh, I was working on my, uh, my master's uh, business administration degree. And wow. I went by a magic shop to pick up a book on rope tricks just to learn a few more things for myself. Well, that's the first time I'd ever been in a magic shop. And the guy there... Uh, showed me some things with sponge balls and with, uh, you know, some other things I hadn't seen. It's just like, wow, it opened up a door to me. So mm -hmm. I joined the local magic club and I used to hang out at the magic shop there all the time. And before long, I was uh, helping him, not behind the counter, but he would say, hey, Scott, why don't you demonstrate this thing for this guy? So I learned uh, one of my early uh, things was Vernon's Symphony of the Rings routine. Uh, and I loved the rings for a long time. And um, uh, first convention I ever attended 
which was back in, I don't know, when was that, 1978, I believe, or so, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I competed in the contest. I didn't win, but I was doing that routine, the Symphony of the Rings, uh, as well as cut and restore rope and some other things. Uh, but I just thought when you attend a convention, part of the registration requirement is for you to enter a contest. I mean, I was used to go in the club meetings where you're supposed to be doing something in each of the meetings. So I thought, well, yeah. everybody's supposed to compete. So I was kind of surprised when I realized I was only a one of, you know, maybe a half dozen or a dozen uh, competitors at the time. So uh, mm -hmm. out of all the registrants. But anyhow, uh, that was my beginning experience then in Magic and also with conventions. Wow, that's awesome. And so from when did you actually start performing full-time like getting into like the more professional professional scene sure good question uh because i was doing magic on a part-time basis for a long number of years i always liked um hearing what gene anderson uh, would the, the phrase he would use is part-time professional because i always hate the uh, the word of being an amateur uh because an amateur kind of implies that you are amateurish. You are not really qualified to be a full-time professional. But right. by being a part-time professional as opposed to an amateur, that means that you perform professional shows. I mean, not only are you getting paid, but also you're expected to be at a certain level uh, mm -hmm. there uh, to deliver uh, that kind of quality, I guess, um, on a professional level. But you also have then another full-time job that you're doing. So uh, I was doing that for a long number of years. Early on, like many of us, I did a lot of birthday parties, a lot of birthday parties, hundreds of those, <laughs> and uh, got to be you know, well-known uh, in my community uh, for that uh, back in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and then moved to Midland, Texas, which is out in West Texas. And I was mm -hmm. uh, kind of a big fish in a small pond and where I decided that I would start to... Um, uh, actually introduced some other people to magic. Uh, so I started teaching a class in uh, magic uh, at the local junior colleges uh, while I was still working on my, or finishing my MBA. And uh, then I, um, um, as I had uh, started uh, teaching uh, people, formed a club, we formed a, an IBM ring there in town, and I got to be, as I said, a big fish in a small pond. Uh, George W. Bush, who later became president, was a good friend of mine, and he was actually there in Midland, Texas. And so um, he used to uh, work with me. In fact, he assisted me on several occasions. We had a United Way is a charitable organization that uh, companies will uh, donate money for these different charities. And United Way is a way of kind of spreading money among different organizations, not just the Scouts or the Red Cross or, or, the, or, or different organizations like that, but um, just kind of all of them. So anyhow, he was the chairman of that. And uh, one particular year was called um, Thanks to You, It Works Like Magic. So he was my assistant. And so I made him float and I cut and restored his tie and pulled the shirt off his back and did different things each week at our <laughs> reporting meetings. And he used to come over to the house and uh, uh, rehearse some of these things, you know, and I put him on a Super X and and making float. And so I got to be, uh, uh, got on television, you know, local uh, wow. TV there and on in the newspapers and everything. And um, it's kind of hard to remain friends with him because of the meteoric rise that he took. And uh, then I went off into to magic then as well. And it's kind of hard to get through his many people to get to him when he was president. But um, we, I, we did remain, remain friends for a long time because I remember once he was, uh, oh, uh, he was a uh, um, 
uh, parade marshal in a, in a parade. And mm-hmm. um, as he was on the car, then Laura said, hey, there's Scott and Kathy. And he got off and came over and shook hands, you know. And so um, anyhow, we've been friends for, for a very long time. But uh, mm-hmm. that aside, I again started, um, continued then. Really, I was in the energy business for a long time. I was a financial trader. And I oh, worked wow. with different companies. I uh, worked with um, uh, Texaco and uh, Occidental. I worked for Enron. Uh, I worked for Northern Natural Gas. I worked for some smaller companies then also. And just kind of, that's why I had moved uh, several times. The companies had moved us from one place to the other. But my long-term goal, mm-hmm. Jacob, was always to be a full-time professional magician. Uh, I wanted to retire at 55 and go work cruise ships. And so that's what I'd always that's told cool. my wife. And so that's what happened. Uh, when I turned 55, I you know, asked her, I said, yeah, well, this is, uh, it's about time. And she said, well, you know, if this is what you want to do and we've got everything all paid off and no debts right now, so uh, you can do it. And so I, uh, I did and never really looked back because within the first two weeks, uh, I already knew what to do, who to talk to and how to do it. So I had uh, three cruise ships booked and six trade shows uh, wow. because I had been doing a lot of trade shows. And also whenever I was traveling with my, uh, energy em- employer, uh, or employers, uh, I would, uh, usually, uh, arrange my travel schedule, uh, around conventions or around times when I was going to be performing someplace. So I, uh, I stopped doing birthday parties and realized the real money, of course, is in corporate entertainment. And I'd rather be entertaining adults than children. Uh, and <laughs> although I, I still occasionally will do families, but yeah. um, I mainly just kind of focused on working uh, corporate cocktail parties and after dinner as the comedy uh, magician entertainer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, but we went out and did some cruise ships, but that wasn't something my wife really wanted to do. She said, you know, this is really your dream, not mine. She was a mm-hmm. registered dental hygienist, and she said, I enjoy my job working with patients, and so. You know, if you want to go out to sea and do that, that's fine. I said, no, I don't want to be without you. So I'll just uh, focus and really more on the trade show end of it. So that's what I ended up doing. So I uh, uh, continued to, um, uh, I guess that was along about 2005, whenever I uh, started doing magic on a full-time basis. But as I said, prior to that, for probably 30 years, I had been doing it on a part-time professional basis. Uh, and again, just knew who to talk to. And now I could go back and say, Hey, look, you know, whenever you're available or whenever you want me, I can be available. I'm not going to have to try to schedule this around my vacation times or something, you know, so I'm yours whenever. So anyhow, things kind of took off from there. Anyhow, it's a long, long answer, huh? (laughs) No, that's fantastic. It's, it's, that's a really, really interesting story (laughs) Uh, in terms of like, kind of like live two lives in a way, you know, like that's true lived the entire life of the M- the business MBA, <laughs> working for these huge energy companies, and then moved into being a really successful performing magician. Must feel That's right. kind of weird to look it, back on it. <laughs> and I would encourage other people to be thinking about that then also, that just because you are doing one thing, that doesn't mean you can do two, you can't do two or more other kinds of things and be successful yeah. uh, at all of them. It's just, it's not called multitasking. It's just something that uh, is if whatever is your passion. And I enjoyed doing both of my jobs. So whenever yeah. I had an opportunity to uh, to do a show, I would, or if I had an opportunity to, um, uh, you know, make a deal with uh, a financial yeah. trade with someone, you know, I was working on that then too. So I, I just enjoyed, they were very rewarding. Um, 
emotionally and, and financially yeah. and just really enjoyed uh, uh, what I did. But I kind of felt like when I was at 55 uh, at the time, I was thinking that is uh, probably uh, I'm about done. You know, this is really a young man's game because just imagine like being in Wall Street, you know, in the middle of a pit. I mean, many times a day, <laughs> that was kind of like what my job was, you know, with the headphones on and walking around and talking to my clients and different people. Yeah. So anyhow, uh, completely different than what I was doing then in magic. But uh, both things have ha helped me because whenever I mm -hmm. was able to go and talk, when I did go and talk with my clients, uh, most of them knew I was a magician and uh, I would do some magic for them. And, and then mm -hmm. also because of my abilities to uh, be able to talk with people from all walks of life, it made it uh, easier uh, for me to be a magician. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and perform. Uh, one thing I found early on was the importance of remembering people's names. In fact, the first job I got out of college, uh, I was trying to get a job with uh, a newspaper because mm. I was had a degree and my undergraduate degree was in journalism uh, and with a minor in radio and television. And I um, was looking to get a job within the advertising agency in Denver, Colorado, but I ended up getting a mm. job with a newspaper. And the reason I did is because uh, I was able to remember the names of all the people who were in the room as I left. And because that's what they later told me, there are others who had good portfolios and backgrounds and education, but you impressed us because you remembered our names. And that's what got me my job. And I realized oh. from then on how important, how sweet a person's name is. And to remember Jacob, to be able to call people <laughs> by names, because that's what then they will remember you and they'll listen more intently to you then also. So oftentimes whenever I'm doing a cocktail party or something and I'm walking out and I'll say, uh, you know, thanks, Sarah. You know, I enjoyed uh, being here. And uh, Steve and Bob, thanks a lot for your help then this evening. And and Jonathan, I enjoyed meeting you. And they're all just looking at me. I'm walking around. So how does he remember my name? You know, it's just I've got a good mm -hmm. short term memory. And I think that is one of the uh, more impressive things you can do, almost more so than magic would be my my best tip, really. I briefly interrupt this podcast to give a quick shout out to our newsletter. If you go to www.dailymagician.com slash books, you'll be able to claim 24 magic books for free, as well as sign up for our daily newsletter. In this newsletter, we share tons of incredible content, just like this podcast, as well as providing you with amazing exclusive offers from fantastic magicians. That's www.thedailymagician.com slash books. Oh, yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, it's obviously a very well-read book, but, you know, like Dale Carnegie's Health Win Friends and Influence People, I think you said it there, right? Like the sweetest, sweetest sound is someone's own name. <laughs> so it's definitely a very important thing. It really is. I was interested. Um, so with it, I really like the way that you, you did it because <laughs> I think about a lot of people that, you know, might enjoy their day-to-day -day corporate job but like in their heart might feel like they want to do something different in the future. Um, it seems like you kind of never let that go throughout your, if I can call it corporate career. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, how did you kind of keep the faith <laughs> in a way, uh, throughout all of that time up until the point where you're able to transition into being a magician? Like what, in what ways did you maintain your magic? How did you, how did you split the time between both, but still focus on your career? I'm just, I'm just interested to know how you did it. Cause I feel like a lot of people want to follow creative pursuits in a corporate job, but not, not a lot of them actually end up doing it in the end. I think it's important to be focused, be centered, have faith, uh, and have a belief. Um, mm -hmm. and I do have all of those. And I think if you, um, uh, 
if you desire something uh, strong enough that that will come. A perfect example mm-hmm. is like, oh, early on when I was in the uh, energy business and they would do annual reviews and say, what are your goals? You know, what is mm-hmm. and what are your what's your one year, three year, five and 10 year goals? And I was finding that when I could actually uh, express what those goals were, then they became real to me. And therefore, you can achieve your goal faster than you would expect. So I was reaching my 10-year goals within three to five years. And so like if I wanted to be the director, of, I was a director within three years. I want to be a vice president. I was doing that within about five years. So uh, it was just something that if you um, visualize that and you um, believe that that can happen, and uh, but also balance and maintain the important things in life, as I said, family and faith. And so I want to make sure that I spend enough time with my family and my kids, my uh, my wife, and um, uh, and and providing for them then also. Uh, and so if you're looking at where there is an opportunity, let's say that magic is going to provide you with additional income. That's one thing, but if it's going to be your primary income, then it gets to a point where you're making more doing magic than you are with your other job. You know, don't get rid of the other job then too soon because a lot of times people do thinking, Hey, I can make it. And then things change, you know, like nine 11 or COVID. I mean, something tragic that affects the world situation and uh, your, um, uh, your, your plans change, but if you had that, if you will, fallback job, you know, kind of a thing in which you were doing something in the corporate market, then you can go back to that. You know, some, something that comes to mind uh, like that is uh, a buddy of mine, Stuart McDonald, uh, who had a great job with uh, Amana, I think it was, or GE or somebody. Anyhow, and he was doing magic and had won contests and competed at FISM and everything. And he was doing very well uh, with other, with his magic and also he had uh, uh, haunted houses that uh, he and his wife, Lori, were working on. And eventually he said, you know, I'm going to mm-hmm. quit my job, which I, he'd been doing for I don't know how many years, maybe 20 years or so. And then uh, realized after a while that, hey, this isn't still bringing in the same kind of income uh, that I thought it was going to. Or, you know, that was just nice. But but uh, it's it's good to have a steady, not only a steady job, but also one that provides you with a um uh, 401k. Uh, so you've got yeah. some money being put in the bank, but also with insurance. And that's very important. Maybe not so much in the UK with uh, socialized medicine, but in the US, it's uh, vitally important. And so, in yeah. fact, I was working on a book at one time called Get Out Early. And one of the yeah. chapters I was writing about had to do with that very thing of of, uh, of saving your money and also putting money into um, uh, into your own whole life insurance policy. Because when you work for a company, they provide you a term insurance, which is exactly what it means that you have a a certain term that basically as long as you're employed by them, they will pay for insurance. The day you leave, you no longer have health insurance. So if you uh, are out uh, of employment for a while or indefinitely, then you have to go and buy your own insurance and that gets to be very expensive. So that's something to uh, to be aware of if you're going to be on your own that you do need to um, uh, make you know make arrangements for uh, having insurance, but also with the whole life policy. That's actually some money that you're putting into uh, into your own bank account, if you will, that you can borrow if you need to. But you're also you're creating essentially your own 401k. 
Um, and over the years, people said, well, you know, the uh, back during the uh, technology bubble when every the dot com uh, money was going big, everybody was saying, "Well, you should have been putting put your money in there." Well, I'm glad I didn't. I said, "Well, I like just having <laughs> going along easy and steady," which I did through this whole life policy I was investing in, and and yeah. I'm glad that I did. You know, it's better to kind of look again for the long term rather than just kind of storing up things for for the short term. So there's a lot of things to look at, and then also as far as your family goes, uh, you have to make those kinds of decisions uh, not only to provide for them but to think about. Uh, what if, you know, you're thinking about being an empty nester at some point, but what if you have what I call boomerang children, you know, the kids come back <laughs> for whatever reason and they, they live with you for some other extended period yeah. of time after they've gotten out of university and, or perhaps they might get married and then get divorced, or they might have a child that come back, you know, and so all of a sudden you've got more expenses than uh, what you expected because you thought yeah. that they were out of the house. So there are a lot of things that one needs to think of whenever you're contemplating making that jump from uh, the corporate world to um, 100% of being a uh, full-time magician. And uh, in my case, yeah, I had um, uh, done all of that, put that away, and uh, made sure that um, I had uh, opportunities for uh, for the future and uh, bookings. And then also a, uh, a wife who was supportive, which is absolutely important. And um, it's also good if uh, if your spouse has another uh, outside job or something that uh, she does or he does uh, uh, on a full-time basis. So this way that you have uh, additional income coming in uh, as well to to support you in the times that might be in a few of the months that could be a little bit more dry than the others. Yeah. So anyhow, just a little bit of advice there. Sorry, I kind of went on again for <laughs> too long. No, that's fantastic. It's not not too long. I, I think it's really fascinating. And it's only too long if like it stops getting interesting. and It is all interesting. <laughs> so uh, yeah, thank you. I'm actually interested in terms of like, and I'll move on from this set of questions after after this last one. <laughs> but in terms of your kind of business expertise, and you were talking about kind of like the contacts that you made while you were in, you know, while you're working for the energy companies. Um, I'm interested to know, what skills did you pick up during your corporate career that helped you as a magician? Negotiating. Absolutely. Number one would be negotiating. Number two would be uh, working with people. And that mm -hmm. also goes to negotiating and to settling, if you will, because mm -hmm. uh, I, I've learned uh, through my business experience in the corporate world about getting along with uh, all kinds of people. I mean, when I, when I started out, um, I, quite literally started at the, at the bottom. And I mean, I was, uh, when I used to say I was in oil business, I'm really meant to say I was in oil up to my hips. I mean, I was down in the ditch, <laughs> digging ditches, you know, and working with a welder and hauling yeah. pipe and, uh, you know, uh, sitting on a winch truck and doing all that kind of stuff and, and yeah. as a roustabout and then kind of work my way up and then into the office and then into management and to the board. So it just is uh, something that uh, uh, along the way, you learn how to talk with different people from different backgrounds and yeah. not talking up or down to anybody, but just kind of across so to everyone and re recognizing mm -hmm. who they are and respecting everyone for whoever they are and whatever they are. And so yeah. uh, there is no, I mean, there's, there's diversity in the world, but we should learn how to deal with that. And so I did early on, again, uh, through the corporate world of uh, talking with so many different people. And as I said, negotiating, that was primarily my job was to negotiate these financial uh, products with uh, different companies uh, mm -hmm. and to develop um, something. I mean, it was fun to work on the, the finance side. I've always been pretty good with numbers. 
But when it comes to actually talking with people, not only to uh, anticipate what they're going to say, but be able to um, provide them with their needs. So yeah. uh, magic comes in very handy. There's kind of a lot of crossover there from the standpoint of and, and mind reading and mentalism for that matter, too, because you've got people who um, uh, are maybe more difficult to read than others, uh, but also uh, it is something in which that we learn as a magician or as mentalist uh, to know well, something minor. Let's say if you're, you could tell you're right-handed if you're wearing your watch in your left hand. More often than not, you know, that's the case and vice versa. They're left-handed if they're wearing the watch in the right hand. That's not always the case, but there are certain generalities and stereotypes that they're stereotypes for a reason because they're mostly true. Uh, and so uh, just being aware of your surroundings and by doing that, you're already a leg up over your competition, whoever you're negotiating with, because you can anticipate what the outcome might be. Hmm. Oh, I really like that. I mean, yeah, I could talk about business all day, but um, maybe for, for our listeners, I'll move on to a different question. <laughs> but thanks so much. Those are, those are really interesting tips. <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess, obviously, we talked about kind of your professional career in both of your professional careers um, and where Magic Journey started for you. Um, obviously, something that you're kind of very well known for now is the podcast. So I wanted to ask you, I know when it started, but why did you start the podcast? And, and yeah, like, what's the story of the, the sure. origin of the magic? Uh, well, I, again, been performing for a long time, had a good uh, history and base of knowledge, uh, and not just in my own area, but also just um, I mm-hmm. um, work, been working in the Magic Castle out in Hollywood ever since 1981, I think, was the first time I was working at the castle in the wow. close-up room uh, that Bill Larson hired me for. And uh, each time I have gone out, I always get a visit with some new people that I meet who instantly become friends and then also seeing some old friends that I only see rarely. Uh, Same thing like at magic conventions that I uh, uh, attend a lot of magic conventions. And during the 90s, I was the uh, columnist Mm -hmm. for San Allen on Magic Magazine for uh, a number about a decade, long, long time. Um, and so I did attend a lot of conventions and also would uh, report on those because people who attended them would send me the articles or their their reviews and I would edit those and everything. Um, but I, uh, I was also a house magician at the Magic Island, uh, which was a, uh, a dinner nightclub kind of a uh, magic themed restaurant that started out in California and was intended to open up then in Houston. Uh, and then after that, they were going to go like to Atlanta and I think Chicago and a few other places. Uh, but uh, it didn't expand beyond Houston because of the um, we had a there was a boom at the time. And then there was a bust shortly after it opened. Uh, so they started they, they made a lot of money. Then they started losing money and then ended up uh, selling it off. So uh, during that time, again, I was a house magician there for a long number of years. So I got a lot of experience, plus uh, working. Uh, at other restaurants outside of the Magic Island uh, for a long number of years. And so I had written for, um, it was, uh, oh, I can't remember the name of the, uh, the uh, oh, Magic uh, Magic on the Menu, I think it was. That was Jim Sisti's uh, magazine. Uh, so a little, it's actually, I mentioned Gene Anderson. Gene Anderson was one kind of got me into uh, writing because uh, when I was at the IBM convention in Hawaii and he had been asked, I guess, by uh, Bill Larson to write something for uh for genie or no for the linking ring that's what it was i think um, 
uh, at the time, Howard Bamman, had, who was the editor, had asked him to, uh, to write an article. And he said, why don't you do this? He said, I think you would be sensed with your journalism background. So I said, OK. And so I did. And also prior to that, uh, I remember when uh, Bill Larson used to write articles in Genie Magazine for, from the conventions that he attended. But he mm. once posted that he was not going to be able to attend the IBM convention. Would someone like to write it up? And I did. And then I submitted a couple of other things. And so uh, I, that was, I think, why Gene Anderson figured that I was um, with, with things I'd had published in Genie uh, that I could um, uh, be qualified for for that. So anyhow, one thing kind of led to another. And so with that experience, I think that's what uh, led me to this random <laughs> occurrence. And that is that uh, Dodd Vickers had contacted me out of the blue. Now, Dodd is the one who back in the 1990s started uh, the Magic Newswire. And through mm -hmm. the Magic Newswire, which you can still access, has um, podcasts uh, from way back then in which that he had contacted people like Johnny Thompson or Dick Cavett, uh, 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 Neil Patrick Harris, and several other people. And he'd had uh, in-depth conversations that might be two or three hours and talking specifically about their magic and in a in nice kind of a conversational type of a style, basically, yeah. but also with a direction as far as the conversation and the questions that he had planned. Uh, so uh, then he branched that out a little bit and said he wanted to um, have uh, like more of a talk show kind of a thing with uh, several guest hosts and they could then bring in someone. So uh, he had contacted me. And again, I didn't know him in, in, from out of the blue. Uh, so uh, I guess he had, for whatever reason, contacted me. And the other people who were on there included David K, silly Billy. So he had a perspective of talking about children's magic. There was another fellow, Chase Goforth was his name, and Chase was an illusionist. Uh, and then another guy, uh, Cameron Ramsey, who at the time was a young fellow. I don't know if he's late teens, early 20s at the time. Uh, so he had a different perspective from the youth. And so my perspective was from someone who had been around, done a lot, and um, was kind of the uh, uh, historian, I guess, of the group. And so then he, that is Dot Vickers, would be the person who would be the uh, the host. And so he would contact, uh, let's say, Mac King, and then Mac would get on uh, the phone with us. And then we would all ask questions uh, like, I don't know, over here we have a, a show called The View in which there are a lot of women panelists and they'll have somebody on and all these ladies will ask questions from their particular point of view to whoever mm -hmm. the guest is. And that was kind of the, the plan as if they were in a bar uh, and asking these questions. And so... Uh, that was every Sunday night. And then uh, I started, uh, uh, he sent us a, a microphone, you know, for us to record, which by the way, I hadn't even thought about that, but I'm actually physically using that microphone right now that he had, he had given us. Um, <laughs> uh, wow. That's kind of serendipity. That is really cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, hadn't thought about that, but yeah, it's a Samson phone, uh, microphone that he had, uh, in the early days of the podcast, there were companies, uh, like blue microphone and others who would mm -hmm. send him free equipment, uh, in order to promote their, uh, their brand. Wow. Uh, for the podcast. And then he would send these microphones on to us. And so I got a couple other blue microphones, but I've kept this particular Samson. It works very well for, for what I do with these podcasts. Anyhow, yeah. uh, I um, so I started submitting to him some podcasts that uh, I had of reports from conventions. I would just bring a microphone with me and uh, report 
you know, from the showroom floor, what's going on, talk with the talent and everybody. Cause over the years I had at the magic Island, everybody had come through, uh, and worked there. So I got to sit down for them and not just, uh, you know, one time, I mean, they'd be there for a couple weeks at a time. So we got to, uh, see each other every night. We would have dinner every night. I mean, you're talking about people like, like Johnny Thompson and Pam and like, uh, Oh, Mike Caveney and uh, Tina Leonard and uh, uh, Lance Burton and, you know, so many other people who had come through uh, there. So I got to be friends with a lot of people and work with them. Uh, and so kind of felt like that I'm on a, uh, a peer level so whenever I talk with people. So uh, I was able to provide these reports and I and he posted them. Dodd posted them on Newswire for a while and then realized that Ray said to me, I don't want my podcast to be. Uh, for people to consider this to be the convention, Magic Convention podcast. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I suggest, Scott, that you, you know, if you want to do that, you might think about doing your own podcast. So he kind of kicked me out of the nest, so to speak. So I said, okay. And that was 2002. And I, again, kind of knew what to do. So I just spread my wings and started doing it. And uh, that's kind of when it began and how it began. Well, that's fantastic. Um, so since then you've done to date, right? Like over 700 episodes at the exact count. I know you, one just came up today, I think with Jamie and Swiss, I don't know if it was today, but since the last time I looked, Correct. Uh, I saw it come up. Um, I'm interested to know kind of, I know that these are kind of like difficult, silly questions, <laughs> but I'm Nothing still interested. Is a question. There's never a bad question. <laughs> well, let's start with, with a better one, I guess. Uh, I think what is like, your favorite question to ask guests that, that come on? Okay. Good question right there because I don't have an agenda. So I don't have a question except my final question, which we'll get to in a minute. Uh, yeah. Because in, in fact, when I talk with people before I get on, often they will say, well, what are we going to talk about? I'll say, I don't know. I'm just turning on the microphone or whatever, like two people who are having a conversation will talk about, you know? Right. So we have a conversation and I think they're always surprised about how well that it goes and how quickly it goes and how much fun that they've had. It's like, okay, holy cow, an hour's already passed. So, yeah. I mean, I, I, I literally, then Jacob, don't have an agenda of any type um, and mm -hmm. which that uh, we get started. I really don't know until I'm talking and I'm introducing the person as I'm holding the microphone or, you know, they're sitting across the table from me or something. And I'll say, you know, the last time we talked, uh, your dog was sick or something. How's he doing, by the way? You know, and yeah. so I just start right into a conversation. So it's not like, like who, who your influence is in magic. What is your famous favorite magic book, what advice yeah, do you have, yeah. you know, but the people I talk with, I know we're going to eventually get around within an hour to talking about things that uh, people will um, want to know. And that is if we're yeah. talking about someone who is a cruise ship magician or a trade show magician or whatever their specialty happens to be, uh, they'll give some advice that is uh, very cogent. So mm -hmm. I find that um, if you have an organic conversation, it opens them up a little bit more because it just kind of naturally leads into uh, say, well, what have you been working on recently? Well, I've been, uh, you know, touring here or there. I just got back from Dubai. You know, for an example, I was talking with uh, Noel Britton. Noel was uh, over in, I can't remember, Singapore or someplace over in Indonesia. And uh, I said, first thing, are you working on a cruise? Because I said, where are you? You know, are you in London? He said, no, I'm over so-and-so. And I said, you work on a cruise ship? He said, no, actually, we're working here to uh, my wife and I to help save orphaned orangutans. It's like, what? <laughs> that, went in, <laughs> that went in a completely different direction for the next half hour. And it was phenomenal. 
you know, kind of uh, conversations. You never know where these things are going to take you, but you have to be open. And I guess that would be another important thing that I would recommend to people is to listen yeah. uh, to people, listen to your guests or listen to, you know, when you're in a conversation, don't try to be thinking of your next question, be thinking about what they're saying. So then you can formulate mm -hmm. something and just be a natural conversationist. So I don't have anything that is an agenda or a particular question I like to ask uh, the guest until the end. And that is my last question. Of, mm -hmm. The name of my podcast is called The Magic Word. So what is your philosophy? I don't mean abracadabra, you know, what uh, is, is a magic word. What I mean is what's important to you. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that's important to me, and I found several other people, including um, Jamie and Swiss, you just referred to, that was just released this week. Uh, yeah. And that's the word, yes. Uh, be open to experiences. And you're not going to be open to those experiences if you turn them down and say no, or let me get back to you, or I don't think so, uh, or yeah, I need more information. But if you just answer yes, you're going to find that, uh, I mean, just like with this uh, podcast, when you asked me to do this, I said mm -hmm. yes. Uh, and so it's just one thing leads to something else and you don't know what doors that are going to be open for you if, if, if you don't, uh, say yes. Hmm. Yeah. I love that. Well, I guess you kind of already answered my question for me a little already <laughs> uh, when you, when you've been talking about this, but my next one was just kind of, of, of all the guests that you've had on, obviously you've had some really incredible people. You've had some fantastic discussions, like you're saying, ranging from, you know, like church magic to orphan orangutans. <laughs> That's right. quite the range. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm wondering kind of, of if, and again, it's kind of like making you pick favorites of your children, right? So I won't make you do that, but of all the conversations you've had, which ones right now stick out to you as some of the most impactful? Uh, good question, because I have uh, have been asked that uh, several times in the past, uh, mm -hmm. not by on podcasts or any other interviews or magazines yeah. or whatever, but um, just people in passing saying, uh, I'm not familiar with your podcast, but what would you, which one would you recommend that I go back and listen to that would hook me and I would want to listen to mm -hmm. the rest? And that's an excellent question. And uh, usually without thinking, the first thing I say is David Stone. The one I had with him many years ago, which is another thing that I have done as an aside. Since 2002, I started booking magic lectures. And I think I mentioned that earlier. I've had yeah. almost 200 people that I've had come through. Well, David Stone was one of them I had worked with. And see, when these guys come through and they stay at my house and also that I've got them locked in, basically. So we sit down and I have a, <laughs> uh, a conversation with them as well over a, a martini or a scotch or something. And that usually yeah. loosens up their tongues as well. But this particular one that David was just getting to be well known in the US. He was not at the time, uh, but uh, I helped him on this uh, tour and uh, uh, helped him along his path then as well. And we, of course, uh, got to be great friends. But the reason I mention that is because he is someone who in France is well-known, is uh, not just as a magician, but also as an actor and uh, I think mm -hmm. a model, but he's done uh, a lot of work yeah. in such that he is uh, better known there than he might be in the United States, mm -hmm. uh, or at least was, you know, then at the time. He's got some other things he's doing now as Klechtos. Uh, I believe it is. He's got a new character. He looks like the Invisible Man with, uh, you know, his head bandaged and with these uh, dark glasses, and it's in the, and he carries a big axe. Anyhow, he's getting mm -hmm. worldwide reputation. He said, "I'm getting more publicity off of that than I ever did with any of my magic or anything." I'm getting off the subject, but the point is, whenever yeah. we were talking, he was uh, 
uh, we were talking about all the stuff that he's accomplished. And I said, man, of all the things, I don't know what they made me think of this particular question, but I said, what is it that you feel that you lack? I mean, it seems like you got it all going on. And without hesitation, he said, confidence. It's like, wow. really? Yeah, it was, and, and, and his answer and explaining why that he lacked confidence is inspiring uh, and understandable. And it's worth going back and listening to. Uh, a few others that come to mind. One, uh, Greg, uh, my buddy Gregory Wilson had come to me um, yeah, one time and said, I want to set the record straight. He called me in advance and said, I'd like to come on your podcast and talk about uh, the all the people who have said that I'm a thief and I'm stealing other people's uh, intellectual properties. And it was their idea for tricks, not mine. And he said, I've uh, been accused of this for 15 years. And he said, I've not really said nor done anything again about it. But he said, I'm just tired of that happening all the time. And it has gone on and on. He said, uh, and I said, well, okay, that's, that's fine. Let's talk about that. So we did. And that opened up a whole can of worms and also <laughs> a lot of different listeners who, uh, who tuned in. I mean, uh, thousands and thousands of people were uh, uh, really fascinated by that because after I spoke with him, then I said, since he had mentioned a few people's names, I said, let's hear their side of the story. So I call people like John Lovick and Cosmo Solano and, and some others uh, who had uh, on the other side said, yeah, well, he had stolen these ideas and uh, here, here are my facts. You know, he presented his facts. Let me give you my side of the story. And then I came back and then told, uh, listen to Gregory, give his final side of the story. So that was kind of an interesting series of yeah. uh, episodes that we had uh, back during that time. But as far as just other one-offs, uh, typically I like to try to keep the podcast to about an hour. I found that most listeners enjoy an hour because that's how much it takes for their drive time getting to and from work, or if they're at the gym working out or out walking their dog or something, about an hour is about maximum what they want to listen to. So uh, when I've talked with some people, I, I organically, it just seems to, you know, we look at each other at the end of an hour and say, I think we've kind of covered everything. We kind of get that look in each other's eyes. Like, you know, I don't think there's anything else really to to talk about here. Uh, but uh -huh. sometimes uh, it goes on even longer. And if it goes on for an hour and a half to an hour and 45 minutes or two hours, then I'll split that into two episodes. That was the case with a few of them, like uh, David Berglis, the uh, I spoke with, and that turned out to be a two episode. Uh, and then, uh, which was a really good one. Uh, the one mm -hmm. I did with um, uh, Garrett Thomas uh, is inspirational. Uh, and that was, I believe, two episodes. Likewise with Brad Henderson. I'd recommend that's another two episode. And then one I did with Armando Lucero. Uh, that was just one episode, but we were working together at the castle. And the way that those three gentlemen, that is Brad and, and um, uh, Garrett and Armando, look at magic as an art is well worth listening to. And, uh, and now I'm having to throw um, uh, Jamie and Swiss into that mix also, because I really like what he had to say here this week too. Mm. Well, it seems to me like... Thank you, first of all. Those seem like some fantastic ones that I'm going to have to go back and listen to because they sound really, really interesting. Um, yeah, it sounds to me like you, you're a very curious guy that you're always trying to like learn new things, meet new people. And like you said, that philosophy of like kind of say yes um, and see what happens is a fantastic philosophy. I'm interested to know what three books that have nothing to do with magic, sorry, this is a very specific question, but I'm just interested because I wanted to hear what you what, what you would say. <laughs> what three books that have nothing to do with magic have most influenced your magic and, and perhaps life 
that's quite a big question. So I'll give you a second. Sure. Well, uh, one thing comes to mind was uh, Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, uh, the trilogy mm -hmm. plus The Hobbit uh, to be in When I was uh, in high school and first read uh, all four books, and it influenced me a lot and had a, an impact from the standpoint of, uh, uh, of fantasy and about writing. Mm -hmm. um, I just, uh, it, it opened my mind up to a lot of different things. And uh, the way that Gandalf was reading maps and committing to memory, so that way he wouldn't have to pull out paper, that he kind of became his own GPS, I guess. But there were several chapters that were devoted to just them getting together. And I guess that one of the things, for an example, that it would had taught me is the importance of planning, uh, which is what a lot of what we've talked about already on this podcast. Uh, yeah. And so things are not going to come together unless you have a plan and then you work the plan. And that's exactly what they did in order to uh, get to the tower and back. So uh, so that was important. I really enjoy uh, reading Stephen King novels. I uh, love um, uh, his macabre sense of humor, uh, mm -hmm. if you will. I should, I don't know if it's sense of humor, but his uh, sense of his, his writing style. Uh, also, um, uh, Lee Childs, uh, the Jack Reacher series. Uh, I really enjoy uh, uh, yeah, his, uh, his, his writing. Uh, the, uh, the movies uh, with uh, Tom Cruise were poorly cast. Tom is not a Jack Reacher character. Uh, and uh, I, I, I watch a lot of movies, a ton of movies, uh, until I had just recently moved. I probably watch about mm, six hours of television a day, uh, in addition to everything else that I'm doing. So I just uh, have a lot of time that um, um, I have watched, you know, everything is streaming out there. So, uh, and I go to the movies uh, a lot then as well. So I'm really kind of a... Um, uh, a filmophile, I guess, if I can make up a word, because uh, I really like film. Uh, because again, my minor was in radio and television. And yeah. uh, in fact, during, um, during lockdown, uh, during those two years, I had uh, Magic and Martini Thursday night, uh, Magic and Martini uh, Thursdays, which was a uh, happy hour, basically, for during lockdown. And uh, everybody had a great time, had a lot of really interesting guests, a lot of whom had been on many of the episodes of the podcast in the past. But then also on Wednesday night, I started doing a thing called Mincing Movie Magic, in which we would just mince and tear apart, basically, uh, the um, uh, different movies. Because I had a buddy of mine <laughs> who was a fraternity brother, who was the writer and director and producer of the A-Team on television, and also Walker, Texas Ranger, wow. and he done several other things. And so Massive. he had... Yeah, he's pretty, he has an impressive uh, 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 CV. So he uh, was able to bring on during COVID, since nobody was working, he could bring on these associate directors and actors and stunt doubles and uh, choreographers mm -hmm. and um, uh, composers and different people who had uh, been up for Oscars and things. And so we spoke uh, with them just because I spoke with them from a fan standpoint. Uh, and then my friend Tom Blumquist spoke to them from the standpoint of being friends with them because he was the one who coordinated the talent and getting them on to talk with us. And then um, because he had worked with all these people then too. So it was kind of a, a fun thing. But my point is that uh, I do like um, uh, movies and film and television. What are your favorite movies then? I have to ask you, what, what, what would your movies be like? to watch before you die if you could only pick three well one of my favorites of course is the sting which was with uh robert redford and paul newman uh mm -hmm. great movie if you haven't seen it then it will 
it's, it still holds up pretty good. Uh, there are a lot of podcasts, by the way, I listen to as well about film. One is called Shat the Movies, which I really enjoy. I think it's fun. <laughs> um, but another one, which is, uh, again, with Robert Redford and uh, Paul Newman, that's uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Uh, just uh, a real classic. Um, and then, of course, I guess uh, just uh, I, I like action. So I'd say Indiana Jones, uh, the original one, um, and, the, um, uh, and the Lost Ark uh, would be, those would be three of my favorite top movies. Fantastic. Um, talking of shows, I guess, movies, not really in the same lines, but this is something that I, I was kind of like dying to ask you, by the way, fantastic choices. Did you like the new Indiana Jones? Have you watched it? I've not yet seen yet. that. No, I I've, seen it. I've been uh, traveling to a lot of conventions and moving. And so there's, I'm behind. I haven't seen Oppenheimer yet either. Me neither. I know. Oppenheimer, the new Indiana Jones. I'm like, uh, I need to get to the cinema. Well, to the theater yep. slash cinema, wherever you live. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. But yeah, sorry. Um, but I'd, I was interested to see what your take would be on it. Because I've, I've heard mixed things. So was, was, if you're like a big Indiana Jones fan, I feel like you'd have a good opinion. Um, I am. And I would have, I will have an opinion. <laughs> next time then. <laughs> Stay tuned. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I was going to ask you, um, I saw something like on the side, it's like the official Houdini seance. And that just like caught my eye so much. And because like uh, my wife, um, I don't know why, but we, we end up, we've like ended up talking a lot about like uh, Houdini and kind of psychics and that whole thing uh, more than anything in magic. And I was interested because I know the story behind like the Houdini seances that like, you know, he said that if there was any way that you can communicate after this life, like hold a seance and like his wife would held like, 10 seances and then like in the end I right. said like he would have contacted me like mm -hmm. you know blows the candle out but really amazing iconic moments right. <laughs> uh, from after Houdini's death I was interested to know so that with that context <laughs> I don't know if it has anything to do with that but that was just my context for it um, uh, what, what is the official Houdini seance yeah like? I, I think I know where you're going with this um <laughs> so uh, I'm not certain actually how this came about for me being the, the medium, but there is a group that has been doing what's called the official Houdini seance every Halloween. Uh, yeah. And it's something that's been carried on since uh, Bess Houdini first started doing it. And also with, um, um, oh boy, I'm, I'm, I'm blank there for a minute. I can't think of the other guy who, would, uh, who was with Bess that was... Uh, working with her. But even after that, uh, they uh, continued on in different places uh, around the country, at, I think at the Knickerbocker Hotel in, in New York for a long time. But there are some uh, gentlemen who, I should say gentlemen of means, who travel the world and will have this seance hosted in different cities. I mean, from mm -hmm. Aberdeen to uh, Sydney. You know, I mean, wow. they may be just wherever, or New York City or Chicago. Well, they had it in Fort Worth a few years ago. And uh, they, in this case, they had, typically they, they just get together with the, these, uh, these few gentlemen uh, and do it themselves. And they will hire some um, psychic or fortune teller or seance person to conduct the seance. Yeah. In this particular case, we held it in Fort Worth. Arthur Moses is a well-known Houdini file, uh, someone who is uh, uh, well-known in the Houdini circles of, uh, as a collector. Yeah. And so um, uh, we, they wanted to come and see his collection and then also uh, have the uh, seance uh, there in Fort Worth and then open it to the public. So it's what they did is that uh, they held it in 
um, what used to be a natatorium. And for those who don't know, a natatorium was a swimming center uh, mm -hmm. that uh, later then became uh, a, uh, oh, a Scottish Rite temple uh, for the Masons. And so they had a big room and also a stage where they had things set up and sold tickets uh, to the general public. So there was a kind of a cocktail hour before and after. And um, uh, as people were coming in, they were given uh, special souvenirs and everything for this. It was really a high dollar and high, high, a lot of fun kind of a thing. And they had uh, several people, including my my buddy, Jamie Salinas, who was doing a, 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 a straitjacket escape on stage. And we had uh, some other performers, uh, John Cox, who is, of course, runs uh, Wild About uh, Houdini um, dot com website, which is a great blog. And he talks about all things Houdini every day. He finds something new on there. And John's gotten to be a very uh, good and close friend of, excuse me, of mine. And mm -hmm. so uh, anyhow, um, then it came time in which we were all basically uh, surrounding this table with some Houdini artifacts in front of us, including some locks and keys and uh, photographs, and et cetera, that some of these uh, guys would uh, bring from year to year. And so uh, I was on stage, first of all, and uh, spoke uh, about who Houdini was and uh, about what the seance has been over the years, uh, bringing us up to where we are now. And then I walked over to the table uh, that was out in the middle of this, uh, on the floor. Uh, and again, it kind of had a gallery around us, uh, surrounding us on three sides. Uh, they were looking over our shoulders and everything and down at the table. And uh, then I was the the medium who was trying to speak with Houdini on the other side to to bring us something or make some sort of a uh, give us a sign or something you know open the locks or turn a key or do something and we mm -hmm. tried for about fifteen minutes or so and uh, during that time uh, actually there was a program that was in the middle of the table and mm -hmm. uh, whenever I'd ask a specific question within about 15 seconds, this uh, program popped open to a page. I mean, it just kind of, um, I mean, when I say a page, I mean, it just kind of sprang open, not all the way open, but, you know, just open visibly. It could be seen from a distance and from the balcony, people watching as well. And it was oh. nothing to a strings, no magic. It was nothing whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And and uh, those who had been there uh, at that seance year after year and around the world, said that's the closest anything we've ever had happen in any of our seances. Wow. I mean, I didn't know it'd be such an interesting story, so I'm glad I asked. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's fascinating. Uh, yeah. So that was a lot of fun. And so, yeah, I was the, uh, uh, that was the one and only time really that I was a medium. Now, Jamie and I, I mentioned him then, he and I have been doing seances for ooh, about 10 years uh, in yeah. Houston. There was an older bar there in town that was, I say a bar, it's a, actually a, a wine uh, pub. Uh, that serves wine and beer only. And it was uh, one of the oldest buildings in in Texas. It was built back in 1847. And wow. actually they traded with the Alabama Cachata Indians and they traded uh, at slave trade. Uh, they stored a lot of munitions for the Confederacy there. Uh, and uh, it was right on the bayou. And so a lot of things have happened. And it's it's on the National Record of Historic Places. It's also on the National Record of haunted places. And Jamie and I had uh, a few things that had happened to us that were hard to explain uh, mm -hmm. over the years. But uh, we've had a lot of people who have come in uh, like ghost hunters and they've been setting up all their equipment and trying to find something. We've had psychics who have come in and kind of freaked us out a little bit. Um, <laughs> that, uh, anyhow, uh, 
Uh, so um, we do a little downstairs. I do a little bit of mix and mingle to begin with, doing a few bizarre type of uh, magic close-up tricks. And then I come up and then I tell everybody, or, you know, we take their money and then uh, go. Uh, it seats about 20 people uh, upstairs in this old bar. And uh, they have it locked off basically just for us. And uh, then um, I talk a little bit about the history of the place and also not, not just its history, but also the haunted history as well. And then the things that have happened mm-hmm. to Jamie and me while we were there. And then I tell everybody, because we hand them as they come in a, a piece of string and a coffin nail. And so I tell everybody to fix the string to the coffin nail. And we're going to be using that as a pendulum a little bit later. And then I introduce Jamie and then uh, he conducts the seance. And uh, we are always able to uh, bring bring the ghosts, I guess, basically. We can always have some spirit we talk with. Uh, of late, what we have used is Jack the Ripper, which is kind of an interesting thing, being from the UK that you are and me from yeah. <laughs> where I was in Houston, because you would think, well, why would Jack the Ripper be someone you'd call in Houston? Well, one of the particular um, uh, people who was uh, thought to have been a suspect, uh, rather he was a suspect, but they uh, couldn't find him with someone, I can't remember his name right now, but had committed himself to an uh, um, an asylum there in, in uh, London. Uh, and then, because um, they could track his comings and goings, he checked himself out later, I want to say around 1892, uh, and then sailed to the U.S. And it was around that time there were other Ripper-esque style slayings that happened in New York. I think it was Atlanta and then Galveston, Texas, which is just 45 minutes south of Houston. So it's believed that it's entirely possible that he could have come through this particular place because this was the main marketplace. Uh, it also was a, uh, a watering hole. I mean, Sam Houston uh, used to drink there. Uh, there were, you know, other women of the evening there, they traded um, goods and furniture and stuff like that, but it was uh, just a, a major marketing hub. And so, again, there are prostitutes who work there as well. So it's possible that he might have come through there, but then it got, to, it was too busy. So he went on down to Galveston a little bit further where he committed a murder and then, and then disappeared. Uh, but back then, of course, the police were not all lined up, so they didn't know who was, um, uh, I mean, they not like they are, of course, today, so one city didn't know what the other city was doing and they didn't have information to exchange like we do today. And so it's only through newspaper reports you can kind of connect the dots saying, oh, well, this happened and then that could have given him time to make it to the next place and to the next place. So there would have been a serial killer, you know, back at that time. So it could have been him. So we, we talk about that and then try to bring his spirit back. Wow, that's really interesting. Um... What? Yeah, I mean, I I kind of have a million questions about that. I, 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 <laughs> but I don't really know where to start. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess I'm interested to know, like, is it for you, is it mostly just like the fun of like, because I don't know, magicians and, and uh, I don't know, magicians and, and seances kind of like go back a long way. You know, it's like they do. Guinea himself learn from, <laughs> learn a lot of like his techniques from people. Uh, come psychics, right, and, and people like in in that realm right. of stuff. Right. And I guess I'm, I'm interested for you, like, is it mostly like the fun of experiencing and using those methods to create a seance-like experience, or is it also the interest in like, oh, like, what if something did actually happen? I guess I'm interested for you, like, a, 
uh, this is kind of like I don't know how to say this other than like a, like a, you believe it yourself or okay. you kind of I, interested I think, in that. You know what I mean? I think I know. Yeah, I think I know where you're going. <laughs> I can uh, clarify this if I don't answer this the way that you had asked it. But mm-hmm. um, I, as a Christian and as a believer uh, myself, I don't believe uh, there are ghosts uh, or spirits of that kind that mm-hmm. we're actually talking to. Uh, we uh, we try to recreate an experience uh, that leaves enough doubt in people's minds, uh, just like with magic. People don't know how that works. And so it's the same thing that if we make something that seems to be paranormal, they don't know yeah. what just happened. And so is that real or not? And so we had learned a long time ago to, uh, over time, trial and error, uh, how to approach this from the standpoint of whether we are uh, supposed to be psychics, we're supposed to be um, um um, someone who is a leader, what am I trying to say, a person who, who actually can speak to the dead, uh, or, you know, are we just uh, ghost hunters? And so we've decided, well, we're just uh, going to be people on the journey like you are. We're just ghost hunters, and we're going to explore together. If something happens, it does. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But um, we're just uh, uh, all in this together, and we're all interested in knowing what's beyond. No one knows for sure, but uh, I'm interested, and aren't you? Okay, let's get going kind of a thing. So that way that we don't profess to be a psychic. So people aren't coming up to us afterwards and saying, Oh, can you talk to my great aunt? You know, which is another thing we try not to, we really avoid, uh, connection with people. Yeah. Too yeah. personal because they, um, will expect certain things to happen and also they get very emotional. So it's better like when we're doing a living or dead test, for an example, we would say that uh, I want you to think of someone then who you knew, not necessarily that you were close to. Perhaps it might have been uh, an aunt twice removed or somebody, you know, that you uh, mm-hmm. that you knew of, but it would not bring you emotional sorrow uh, to, to, to bring up her thoughts again. Mm-hmm. Because if we're telling someone to think about your child or your, your spouse or parent or somebody, then they start to get weepy and that kind of throw some cold water on the whole thing so yeah we try to uh, make it a little bit further removed wow well i feel like uh first of all thank you for clarifying that because i was uh, i was starting to like think i felt like it would just be a, i just wanted to clarify for myself <laughs> kind of what oh, sure. it looked like and what was behind them <laughs> um, but yeah. yeah no we try to again just put something into people's minds saying uh, well as i always say is when i when i introduce jamie i say for those who believe no explanation is necessary for those who don't believe no explanation will suffice I say that because when people come in to there, they bring certain expectations. Either A, they believe something is going to happen or has happened, or they believe this, you know, they believe in that. Or B, yeah. they're complete skeptics. They don't believe anything is going to happen. And so you're going to have to try to disprove their skepticism. Or C, they're just there to have a drink and have some fun. And yeah. uh, and that's all fine, too, you know. But yeah. you can't change the the minds of anybody. I mean, it's just like uh, with politics and religion, that if somebody yeah. is of a certain tribe, you're not going to convince them uh, because they have some uh, ingrained faiths and beliefs that you're not going to change. And we yeah. recognize that and we just move on and say, let's let's explore together and have yeah, fun. That. that makes a lot of sense. It's, it almost sounds like, well, I guess it is very similar in the way to like the magic moment, you know, where it's like, it's not about convincing them that magic is real, but it is about separating them from like reality, even just like for that one second. And in that moment of like free fall, they learn a lot. And it is really similar, kind of what you're talking about, right? Where you like put that doubt in their mind 
of what right. was real, what wasn't real. That kind of that is a, a lot of what magic is and what is very enjoyable about it, I feel like. Right. Yeah, in a lot of ways for me anyway. But yeah. Um well I don't want to take too much of your time. I know I haven't got onto everything that I I could have talked about, but I, I don't want to take the rest of your day. And I know you have stuff to do later in today, so I don't want to take all of it. But I do have one final question for you, um, if, if you wouldn't mind. And I guess it is kind of like a, my big question in a way. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> I guess, um, and this is a question we first asked to Andy Gladwin. And since then, he kind of like sets on this mission of like, oh, well, you know what? He's like, ask other people about this, because like, <laughs> I don't really have a great answer. <laughs> um, for you as someone that, you know, it seems like you, you study a lot, you've had a lot of different diverse life experiences. Um, you, you, you had a lot of things you, you could have done with your life and have done. Um, why do you choose magic and, and why, yeah, why magic, you know, of all the things that you could be doing? I, uh, I, I took a job one time in the energy business um, mm -hmm. and it was on a referral from someone with that company who knew my background and said, Hey, we need you over here. We want you to come to work for us. However, uh, you're going to need to go through a psychological evaluation before we hire you because that's just company policy. We need to make sure that everybody who's in the trading environment can handle it and work together as a team. And everyone has had to take the same test. And some people we wanted to have come over who we think are qualified haven't been able to to pass the test basically. Mm -hmm. So uh, I said, okay, no problem. Uh, so I went and spent a day with this uh, psychiatrist who was uh, mm -hmm. asking me a lot of questions and had to do a written exam and all that. And one of the things that he asked because we did get into magic was exactly what you're asking there, Jacob. And that is what got you into magic and what is it that's fascinating about that, that, yeah. that makes you want to fool people, you know? And uh, my answer then and now is that not just that it's fun. I mean, that'd be a, a, a simple answer. But the uh, fact that I like this for people to think like me. I mean, I want to convince people what I am showing them is, is the same way that I see it. And I see mm -hmm. this as something either mystifying or as fun or funny or something that I think you will enjoy. When you walk up to a crowd of people, whether it's at a restaurant or a cocktail uh, party at a group, you have to know that whatever you are saying or showing about to show them is more important than whatever conversation they're having right now. This could be something that is, they're just now telling their family that they have cancer or they're getting ready to move or they're going through a divorce and you're walking up and saying, Hey, would you like to pick a card? You know, mm -hmm. that you've got to have the confidence <laughs> of being able to walk up to groups and to handle uh, rejection if necessary, or to yeah. also empathize and understand maybe that you can see that they're a little bit deeper in the conversation. I might come back later. And in fact, the, when you do that, a lot of times you might find that you are actually providing uh, some entertainment that may be the last thing that they see that they will remember, their families will remember for a very long time. And they're glad. And, I, and that's another story I can tell uh, at another time. Uh, but uh, it, it's, it's important, I think, to um, um, let people um, know um, that that you're you you have that kind of confidence, and so that was yeah. the same thing with me. As I always, uh, when I was in school and in, in high school, I wanted to get into advertising. And the reason being is I wanted to uh, write, direct, and produce TV commercials. That was kind of my long-term goal back in high school. What I wanted to mm -hmm. do, uh, and and the reason is that I uh, always wanted to have people believe what I'm trying to sell them, so that this 
product, this detergent or whatever it is that I'm selling or a popsicle or something, that uh, this is the best darn thing that you're going to see or, or ever want to, to buy. You won't need anything else and you'll buy this for the rest of your life. And the same thing then as I got in sales and um, working in um, uh, the financial side of the business uh, of trying to convince people in negotiating to get them to uh, to like our company, our product, and what I was trying to uh, mm-hmm. to, to sell to them, basically. So advertising and sales and negotiating all tie in with that with uh, magic, because again, with magic that you're trying to convince people that. Uh, what you're showing them is true and real when all yeah. along, obviously there it's, it, it may be a scam, but it's like with any other product, there's no product that is perfect and uh, er, many products are very similar. So what is that differentiates your product from somebody else's or your magic from somebody else's? And the answer is your, your personality. And this is a way of trying to get your personality across to somebody. It's a way of having a, a short conversation of saying, Hey, how about those you know, Manchester today, you know, weren't they great, you know, or whatever, rather than talking about a sporting event or something, I want to talk about something that not everybody would think about, but they will remember me because we had this substantive conversation in which that I had them just think of a card and then I pulled it out of their pocket or something, you know, uh, or, or whatever that it might be that you're doing a mind reading thing or something that it's, it's like that old adage, I guess, of, uh, if you, um, want to, Want to, if somebody wants a, uh, a ham sandwich and you produce something, that's much more impressive than just producing a ham sandwich if they don't really want or need it. Yeah. So, you know, you have to be at the right place at the right time to provide somebody with something that that they want and need. And so, um, I don't know, I'm kind of beating around the bush, but I guess I'm still the bottom line of saying the reason yeah. I got into it was just to try to get people to like me and to believe as I want them to believe. I want to manipulate people into believing uh, the way that I do, because I think I'm always right. <laughs> I say tongue in cheek. <laughs> no, no, that's very honest. I like that a lot. <laughs> I don't think that's a very honest take on it. Yeah. I mean, don't we all, I mean, we want, everybody wants to be loved. You want, you know, people to, uh, to like you. And I am so thankful yeah. that through my podcast, I have so many, uh, you know, 10,000 listeners worldwide. I mean, from, Afghanistan to Zaire. I mean, it's amazing every day when I look at the numbers and the, the different uh, places that people are listening and, uh, yeah. and and emails that I get from people quite literally from all over the world or, hey, I'm going to be listening to this while I'm driving my car in the Alps or something, you know, or yeah. walking in the highlands or something. It's just, I just think it's, it's cool that I'm reaching people and they're considering me as a friend. And that just warms my heart. Yeah. Yeah comes back to people. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Scott, for your time. I mean, I could talk to you forever, but that wouldn't be great for your grandchildren. Um, <laughs> you, need to, you need to see their grandpa. Yes, but um, I'm on my way to go see them. And so, yeah, there are uh, a variety of things that are untouched here. And um, uh, so uh, perhaps at another time. Yeah, more yeah. Time. yeah, exactly. Yeah, I would love to. But yeah, thank, thank you so much for your time. If anyone wants to... Um, is there anything that you want to shout out before you, before we finish the podcast in terms of projects or where people can go to find you, that sort of thing? Oh, sure. Uh, yeah, the, uh, 
way, of course, of uh, following us and getting more information is to go to the website to uh, uh, themagicwordpodcast.com. That's the, don't forget that first, themagicwordpodcast.com. And I recommend also that you sign up for the pod letter. That's a new word mm-hmm. I coined. It's basically a newsletter, but I call it a pod letter because it's about the podcast in which it's a weekly um, uh, pod letter, I want to say, that will give you information about who's going to be on that week, who's coming up next week, and also a suggestion from the archives. And also, if we have different people who uh, help us support us with their financial pledges, because that's what really keeps this going. I mean, podcasts uh, are, are not really um, a way to make money. This is uh, something yeah. that I have just done. It's one of those things, it's like, what comes first, the chicken or egg kind of a thing? Do I create content first or do I try to get advertisers? And in my case, right. I was not so interested particularly in getting the financial side to begin with. It wasn't until later and people said, well, you know, I'd like to be able to contribute. What can I do? And so a little at a time, I started uh, adding different ways in which you can support us financially. And I really encourage that, obviously, if you mm-hmm. enjoy the podcast. I mean, even just a cup of coffee a month, I mean, for the cost of just uh, five, uh, five pounds a month or something, it wouldn't be much if you could uh, uh, do that through Patreon or through PayPal that we can uh, uh, help or, you know, for a uh, little bit higher for the cost of a, you know, a single malt. That'd be great uh, it's each, each month. Uh, so it's it's not much. But after, you know, the hundreds of episodes that I've, I've given out there and, uh, and and keep up with this consistent material and content that I know everyone loves, uh, I would like for people to help support that uh, then if they can. And again, you join that through the pod letter and and then uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Scott Wells Magic. Um, I don't use Twitter too much, but that also is at Scott Wells Magic. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time and for everything that you shared. And uh, until next time. You're welcome, time. Jake. And thanks for reaching out and to contact me about yeah. this. I've enjoyed our chat. I've enjoyed yeah. having the opportunity to uh, share my thoughts. Yeah, well, I've enjoyed listening to them. So it's been a good combination. <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> Win-win. <you>. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>